Hello and welcome all to the Partnered Primary Care Research Podcast. Research for you, by you. A podcast dedicated to learning more about patient and community partners in patient-oriented primary care research in Canada. The Primary and Integrated Healthcare Innovations Network is proud to present this podcast with a focus on public representation in health. Join us to discover who our community partners are in our network and the people who work with them. Hi, and welcome to the Partnered Primary Care Research Podcast, research for you, by you. My name is Jillian Bartlett Esquilant, and I'm the Executive Director of the Network Coordinating Office of the Primary and Integrated Healthcare Innovations Network. I am very pleased to have with me today, Dr. Olive Bryanton. Olive is from Prince Edward Island, and she's here as our guest. So Olive, please tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you, Jillian. Well, I am an older adult, and I'm very involved in lifelong learning. I'm involved in advocacy for older adults. I love working with all generations, and I feel I have been very fortunate to be given the opportunity to continue to aid in my wonderful province. Thank you, Olive. When I first met you, you had just completed your PhD, and your PhD actually changed policy in Prince Edward Island for older people aging in their homes. Could you just tell us a tiny bit about that? Well, in my research, I used photo voice as a, a method of data collection, and I had 10 wonderful women as my participants. And we gave the women cameras to take pictures of what supported or limited their ability to age in place. I was involved with the women for about nine to 10 months. So I got to know them quite well and they got to know me quite well. And we learned a lot from each other. So we had a knowledge sharing open house that enabled us to share what we learned together. We invited family, friends, neighbors, academics, and policymakers. So one of the policymakers that came to our open house was the provincial minister responsible for seniors. The women were there themselves. They had submitted four photographs each to my study, and they were there with their photographs so they could explain to others why they took the photograph, what it meant to them. And so the minister came, she stayed a long time, she talked with each of the women, and five months later, she introduced a new program called the Seniors Initiative, and it was to provide a little funding to older adults to let them purchase what they needed to help them age in place. And when I looked at what they were willing to fund, I could see all the pictures that the women had taken. So uh, she did announce that she was inspired by my studies and by the opportunity to talk to these women. I said to her later, so what did you really mean when you said you were inspired? She said, I got your invitation 
I came to the open house to support your work. I walked in that door with absolutely nothing in my mind. I walked out and my head was spinning. I had so many ideas. So the opportunity to actually meet the women and hear from them was the inspiration to allow her to develop a new program. And that program is going over very well. It would be lovely if there were more money in it, but it really is helping older adults. So we were very pleased and very excited that we did make the change. And I always say we because the women in my study were very instrumental in making that happen. That is such a powerful and inspiring story. And partnered research. You've partnered with women in the community. So you are in an unusual position of having lived both sides of the fence, patient partner and more recently researchers. So I was just, I needed you to share that story because I found it so inspiring myself. So let's back up a little bit. Why did you become a patient partner? And I'm still probably going to come back to your PhD because I just think it's great. Uh well, I was, I was invited to become a patient partner by the PEI Spore Picky Network. And I was working with them on older adults and diabetes project, which fitted very nicely because I'm also a diabetic. And so the, again, it's this learning that you, you get from other people and learning what's happening with other people who have diabetes sometimes makes you be a little bit more compliant in what you're supposed to be doing. But some of the things that really shocked me was the number of places where both the husband and wife were diabetics. And I was mostly interviewing the person who least needed service. So that you know, it really opened my eyes to what is happening with older adults, especially on the low income status, who are telling me that they can't touch their blood because they can't afford the strips. I remember one woman saying to me, well, I can't feel any of my husband's because he runs out. Like in our province, if you're a type 2 diabetic, you have to be on insulin before the government will cover 100 strips. After that, you have to pay for your for that month. When people are on insulin, they usually have to test at least three or four times a day. So 100 strips do not last for the month. Not only was the person who was truly needing to be checking their blood on a regular basis, not having enough strips to do it, and watching themselves deteriorate because uh, already the complications of, of diabetes had started. So they were, they were in a double jeopardy. The, the wife was watching her husband deteriorate, not having enough money to buy the strips they needed to really watch their own blood sugar, herself not able to check her own blood at all <clears throat> because she couldn't afford strips. And so I can't understand the wisdom of government allowing people to deteriorate because they can't afford the tools 
to help them maintain or comply with the regime they need for their diabetes. So that really was an eye-opener for me. And I felt that these people need someone to support them and to speak to policymakers on their behalf to say, why are you doing this to people? So why did I become a patient partner? I guess for me, the answer is too many people are falling through the cracks. Their health needs are not being addressed and they don't have the ability themselves to speak out on their own behalf. So we really need uh, someone. I'm also involved with the Diabetic Association, so I work with them to speak out on behalf of diabetes. Thank you. And I think now in research, certainly equity and access and inclusiveness are huge mandates, but this again is where the patient partner who sees this exactly how it's impacting people can have such a strong voice in setting that agenda. I think you already sort of answered one of my other questions. So I'm going to move ahead. What advice would you have for someone thinking of becoming a patient partner? Well, I definitely say go for it. As a patient partner, I think, like for myself as a patient partner, I believe that all people are equal and deserving of access to appropriate evidence-based health care. And that as a person receiving the care, you must also be an active partner. But you can only be an active partner if you have the knowledge if you have the skills, if you know the questions to ask. Sometimes it's the very small things in life that make a difference. When I was 39 and the mother of five children, I had cancer, or cancer of thyroid. I had surgery, but because they had to, it had to work so close to the, the lobe that was totally filled, I was told that I would like to have a reoccurrence, which I did. And I had to go out of province to have my second surgery. And there was eight nodules involved. And so I was over in another province all by myself. My husband couldn't come because he was home looking after the children. So the doctor there was really good at explaining to me what kind of cancer I had. I knew it was thyroid, but then there were three different kinds. Explaining what kind of cancer I had, what are some of the prognoses for this cancer, and giving me an opportunity to learn about other people who were in the same situation. And that was so helpful to me. The other thing that happened when I was there was the wonderful volunteers who came to visit. And it was just amazing how that made you feel and how that made you feel important because somebody took the time to come and visit a total stranger. So it's those little things that really help. But I think so many people do not know enough about their health situation to ask the right questions. They need someone to chat with, someone who's been through the same kind of thing, 
I, I think it's one of the most valuable things one can do as a patient partner is share your own experiences and, and your own knowledge. So I would say, if you ever have an opportunity to be a patient partner, please do, because your life experience is very important for the other person. That's absolutely true, both from the patients you're representing and the researchers you interact with, because so we thankfully often don't have those lived experiences, so we really need those perspectives. I think you've talked about a few different really important moments in your journey, but is there um, a particular moment that touched you the most or that you're most proud of when as a patient partner? Yes, I, I think just recently, family member, a 93-year-old, who ended up going to the hospital by ambulance three times in one week. And nobody seemed to clue in <laughs> that this must be a red flag of some kind. Uh, she was not allowed to bring a family member with her. She was there by herself. And we all know when we have uh, a health crisis, I don't care what age you are, you need someone you trust with you. You need that second set of eyes and second set of ears. And that was not allowed. So I did go to the appropriate channels and said, this is so wrong and you can't do this to older people. And there was a change. But one time she went in and she was, there at six o'clock, her daughter wasn't allowed to go in with her. At nine o'clock, this is six in the evening, at nine in the evening, the daughter went back to the hospital and said, look, my mom is still sitting in the waiting room. She had been in and checked and put back in the waiting room. And she said, I'd like to go sit with her. They wouldn't let her. At the same time, the rest of the people in the waiting room were parents with children and older teenagers. They were allowed to sit with their children, but the older adult wasn't allowed to have um, someone with them. So I, I just thought that's so very wrong. So I did go to the powers that be and said, you can't do this to people. So the older adults themselves are too worried about their own health or anybody who's in a health crisis. So they need somebody with them and it's so wrong to not allow that. And then they blame it on COVID, but you can't forever blame things on COVID. There are ways around. And so what always uh, impresses me, Olive, is that you, when you see something or that needs to be fixed, you don't complain about it, you go fix it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And really, I've been so impressed that even with their own health or whatever issues it might have or their own lives going on that our patient partners, how much time, energy, passion, and resources they have brought to really pressing health questions. So that's very uh, inspiring. Any messages for the researchers out there who are new to patient partnered research and are considering embarking on this challenging, but what I consider a rewarding endeavor? Well, I think we have to recognize that we must work with a person who is needing the service or the program to make sure we're developing it in a way that's going to be useful for them. 
I mean, how can we know what someone else truly needs? I think the person with the need is the person with the expert. They're the ones who knows what's happening with them, and they're the ones who knows what would support their ability to get well and to continue aging healthily. Yeah, and I think this is what the patient partners really bring to the table. I'm an implementation scientist, so I've seen so many projects fail. And I think in a large part, it's that lack of nuance and understanding that has contributed to that. So that's uh, excellent advice. Any final words for our audience? Well, I really believe that we do have to include the person who needs the support. And I believe that anyone who has the ability to make a difference and who have a life experience is the greatest teacher. Life experience itself is the greatest teacher. So we have to trust in our own ability to make a difference. Even myself, I feel very inadequate a lot of time, but I also have a lot of empathy for people who are out there suffering. And I think if you can make a difference in even one person's world, you have really done something that's beneficial. And you have just perfectly captured the difference between getting results from research and having impact from research. So thank you, Olive. For those of you wondering how you can get involved as a patient or community partner, if you go to our website, spore-picky.com, that is S-P-O-R-P-I-H-C-I.com, on the landing page there is a map. If you click on your province or territory, the links for that particular picky network will appear. On their website, you should find more information on how to link with your local primary care research groups. At the bottom of the page, there's also a link under Get in Touch that will allow you to email us directly. This is the same page where you can find our previous podcasts. I would like to thank our production staff, Anik Baudry, Jamie Damore, and our own production patient partner, Kent Cadigan-Lofsgaard. Join us for our next episode for more voices from our patient and community partners where we are highlighting the active and engaging role they play in our patient-oriented research agenda for primary care. In other words, more research for you, by you. This podcast is brought to you by the Primary and Integrated Healthcare Innovations Network, otherwise known as the PICI Network, in collaboration with the Prince Edward Island Strategy for Patient-Oriented Research PICI Network, Visit our website at sporepicky.com. That's S-P-O-R hyphen P-I-H-C-I dot com to learn more about our activities and upcoming events.